Hello. Thank you for joining us at Love Food Hate Money, the show where we talk about food and how much money we spend on it, um, because that's the only hobby we have. I'm host Jonah. I'm going to be co-host Courtney. Hey. And we will jump into our drinks for the day. We are rocking a beautiful um, Earl Grey. That's the name of the tea. I almost said chai tea. (laughs) Earl Grey tea from Private Select, the best money can buy. So fancy. Very fancy. There's nothing like bergamot oil and tea leaves that have been there for who knows how long because it's prized tea. And that... (laughs) doesn't scream quality but because sometimes you go out and you spend all your money and then you drink cheap tea to make up for it it's all about balance and it's also like we're getting close to bedtime tea is a good bedtime ritual yeah nothing like a little hit of caffeine right before bed i think so i sleep better after i have a little caffeine yeah addiction is bad kids (laughs) don't do drugs don't do drugs Unless it's caffeine, because that's the drug that we've approved of. It's a funny... It's a weird thing. Like, obviously, we all run on caffeine, unless you're... Unless you're disciplined. Yeah. Kudos to you. Good on you, drinking water and being all healthy. But for those of us that aren't disciplined, the caffeine really, really do be helping. True. So what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about your favorite food. (gasps) My favorite food? My favorite food, too, I think. Yeah? Probably. What would maybe be your other favorite food? Well, like, pizza's great. Pizza is great. It depends on, like, the cheese intake for the day. If it's a cheese day, pizza. <laughs> if it's a no cheese day, ramen. Then it's baby. ramen day. Ramen's a fun one because I feel like it's something that we've kind of teased a couple times. And then, obviously, like, our current logo is bowls of ramen that we had in Japan. Food that I aspire to be. You want to be a bowl of ramen? Yeah, I want to be a bowl of hot broth with some nudes on the side. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, One of the reasons that we figured this was a good time for this topic is we we recently went to San Diego and we're going again next week because we have problems. Um, Beach, beach, let's go to the beach. (laughs) But we had really hyped up this ramen shop that was like Michelin recommended and we were so stoked to try it. And then we went there and we were pretty disappointed. And it just, we had hyped it up so much in our minds and which part of that is probably on us. Cause that's we, our fault. We weren't meeting the ramen where it was at. And that's an <laughs> us problem. <laughs> we just, we all have a ramen shaped hole in our hearts and it did not fill my ramen hole. <laughs> so ramen is one of those things like we had had very little experience eating it prior to going to japan i don't know what you're talking about but go on i mean i know what you're talking about but i I, ate a butt ton of ramen growing up i cup noodles instant noodles top ramen that falls into a different category for me you know and you can tell that it's ramen because it's got top and then the word ramen (laughs) (laughs) it's the top baby Uh, and that's honestly there's enough information there to do a whole episode because top ramen and cup of noodles is super interesting the history is revolutionized the world baby yeah but that's not the ramen i'm talking about i'm talking about go to a restaurant sit down order a bowl of ramen ramen. yeah a real ramen experience versus the top ramen experience 
which is to not be discredited because Top Ramen is fantastic. No, it's good for what it is. Like, it serves its purpose, but that's not. And even for not its purpose, because (laughs) I was one of the kids that grew up and would open up the baggie. My cousins and I would do this. We'd open up the baggie, and then we would pour the powder in, and then you just beat the hell out of it until you get all these little dry ramen shards that I don't think you were supposed to eat like that because they're not technically cooked all the way. It's deep, it's deep fried. Or deep fried. Yeah. So yeah. No, it's you can eat it that way. I think on the package it says not to do it that way though, which is you know we were being bad little it, boys. It also says don't eat cookie dough out of the package, but well because cookies are dangerous and so is top ramen. Which uh, most people don't understand. It's not the eggs they're talking about. It's the flour. Yeah, flour gets people more sick than the eggs these days. Um, because flour is kind of gross before it's cooked. But anyways, <laughs> um. We'd really only eaten maybe two or three ramen shops locally and then one in L.A. Mm-hmm. before we had gone to Japan. And when we were in Japan, I want to say in the two weeks we were there, we ate anywhere from 20 to 25 different bowls of ramen. Yeah, we had ramen every day. And multiple times a day. And usually we would have, and some of the days were days where we specifically went to like a ramen museum or we were stopping in at the ramen street in Tokyo Station. So there was... Museum, I think, had think 20 they, different shops in it. I don't know. What was it, 12? Probably 12 <laughs> no, different shops? No, I think shops? they have six. No, there were Yeah, I'm bad. on their website. I'll pull it up. Guess I'm wrong. Maybe. Yeah, five. There's only five in rotation? Mm-hmm. I feel like there was more when we were there. There might have been, but their current situation is five. As a post-pandemic world, pre or during pandemic world? I don't know. We went pre-pandemic. It was not... As big as you remember it, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. (laughs) That whole street was a world of possibilities. Right. So, yeah, we went to uh, the Yokohama Ramen Museum. I think it's worth noting as well that when we went into this trip, we were like, we don't want to be the people that come back and say we can't get a decent bullet ramen anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, we failed that miserably. And now... We're bad people. really, really assholes about it to, like... I think we're polite assholes about it, but there is a part of it where we just have a bowl of ramen at a shop and we're like, yep, that doesn't have the, (laughs) that's not what I was looking for exactly, which. It's hard because you have this food memory now. And every time you go out and try to chase that memory, it's just not going to end well. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't places that do a good job or that we prefer more than others. But it's really hard to go from a country where that is like one of their most famous dishes to here where getting all the ingredients or spending the time to make the ramen may not be doable or even necessary to feed the audience that's going to be eating it. Yeah, and all all of it that we've had, which again, Metro Phoenix doesn't have a ton of ramen shops. I'd say the only one that comes close is origami. I really like origami. So shout out to them. They also use <laughs> way more black pepper than you will see in the entire country of Japan at any yes. given moment. Like, I can't remember that spice Mm-mm. in Japan. And they put on enough black pepper into their, like, house ramen that it makes me happy because I grew up eating, like, Kraft mac and cheese with just enough black pepper to... It kind of looked like a pepper-coated salami. Yes. By the time I was done with it, which is the sweet spot, and they they use a ton of it. It's delicious. 
Yeah, so we figured um, we'd give you a little bit of the history that we learned when we were at the Shin Yokohama Ramen Museum because that was really, for me, what made that place stand out so much was it was like, actually, like, this is the history of it, and it's not our dish originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, ramen originates from um, Chinese noodle soup. Mm-hmm. Um, it was around 1859 when the Japanese opened their ports, and around that same time, welcome um, back to the world. <laughs> around that same isolation time, island, uh, there was a Chinese noodle shop that had opened, and that's really what sparked it. And it's funny because if you go and read up on ramen history, one of the big things was when Chinese people would visit Japan, they were like, "We're not eating raw fish. Like, we're not doing that. This is not. A this fun is game. not how you this do is it. How we get sick. We cannot eat this." Um. So ramen was one of the things that kind of came out of that is like the Chinese people were like, no, like, look at this. We eat this. This is pretty cool. Right. And we see your food that you didn't cook and we'll raise you cooked food. (laughs) The most cooked food, because I mean, most ramen broths that are going to be worth their weight are going to be 10 hours on the stove. Does it talk about how there's probably a full circle element there where the fish is being taken off for, you know, sushi, various other dishes and consumed differently. And then they're taking those bones and they're like, ah, we'll just cook it and make a stock out of it. Like, is there, does it talk about how full circle that I didn't read anything about that, but I do think that's an interesting point to make because one of the great things about ramen is you can use a lot of scraps. Like when I make it at home and that's not often because it takes four days. Like I save chicken bones in the freezer All the bones for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if I was going to do a fish stock, I would do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess you could totally take, I, it depends on the fish. That's true. Like you wouldn't take, typically you wouldn't take like salmon bones Salmon's it's also not something that is actually that Japanese, though. That was some great marketing by the Atlantic, by the Norwegians. Norwegians. Targeted Japan. <laughs> this is some more fun trivia. They targeted Japan because they, at the time they had an overabundance of salmon. And they were like, they eat raw fish. I bet we could we could get them to buy our fish. And it worked. And now we have salmon rolls to this day, which good on people that can eat them because... It's not my favorite. I salmon is a flavor that I do not like raw that much. I'll eat a salmon roll, but like overall, prefer yeah. to hit that with a little bit of a sear. Mm-hmm. And that's me on ramen. <laughs> <laughs> and this just became the sushi episode. So when you if you go to the ramen museum, which if you go to Japan, take the time to do it. I think it was like three dollars and fifty cents for entry. Something and then like they expect you to buy at least one ball of uh, one ball, one ball of ramen <laughs> per shop, one bowl of ramen. So essentially the layout of the, this museum is the whole top floor is the museum. It's you're reading history. You're looking at like you walk through. I remember there being like a glass an enclosure thing, almost like a little diorama and then a bunch of dates. And you like walked in, you were like walking down the timeline of ramen mm-hmm. and like, Oh, this is what one of the little ramen carts would have looked like. And, Oh, this is this is what the first like electric ramen water boiler looked like. Yeah. Very cool, very insightful, especially because they really touch on the tools that it takes to make ramen, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then also kind of the um the regionality of it. Because I think what makes ramen so interesting is that every region has really like done a spin-off. Mm-hmm. 
and you could have it in Hokkaido and it's going to be one thing. And then you're going to have it in Tokyo and it could be six or eight different things because it's so much more um, access to ingredients. Right. The what ingredients are being brought in to the ports was going to be pretty different or even the seaweed that's being used because a lot of that stuff is seaweed does contribute a pretty significant flavor to the dashis. Mm-hmm. And then even like the variants of noodles um, and just from the uh, ramen museum website, like they cite five different noodles specifically. And each noodle is five mother noodles. <laughs> each noodle is supposed to go with a certain type of broth. And it's just, it's very thoughtful. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much is because there's so much variation, but at the end of the day, it's like usually the same six ingredients in the bowl, but it can mm-hmm. be very different. And then the bottom of the museum was an arguable <laughs> amount of uh, ramen shops because we can't agree on how many there were. There were lots of shops, more shops than you can order full bowls at, which is the fun part of it because you could order half bowls at pretty much every shop, which is not something you can really do outside no. of that context. Because their whole thing was they they bring in shops from around Japan and then they bring shops from around the world. So we were fortunate enough to go when they had a shop from Canada um, that was doing... We were fortunate, and then we were unfortunate because well, we can't stupid. read. <laughs> but they were doing a chicken-based soup. Mm-hmm. Um, very reminiscent of, like, a really fatty chicken noodle soup. Which is delicious. Excellent. Um, and then, of course, after the fact, we read the full menu and found out you could add, like, maple butter to your bowl of ramen. If you ever had the opportunity to get Canadian maple butter ramen and actually get it with the maple butter, shout out to us because that was a sad mistake on our part. That was a big miss for us. One of the other ones we had, which is so crazy to me, is we had um, the rarest bowl of ramen in the world. Yeah. (laughs) According to the literature. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, this shop specifically, it's in Hokkaido, which is like the hardest part of Japan to even get to, first of all. You have to, I mean, I don't know if hardest is right, but it's the most northern island. Right. On the Japanese archipelago. And they use seaweed that's local there. So it grows in really cold water, which gives it its distinct flavor. And the shop is only open like three hours a day, like three days a week. <laughs> I want to know how they got to the point where they could open the shop and say, we're open nine hours a week every other time. Tough titties. Yeah. That would be a dream, honestly. I'm trying to think of the logistics on that. Like if we were going to do that right now, open up a shop that we only had to be open for a nine-hour window, we would have to charge. Well, especially with ramen, because it's it's hands-on. That's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of front-loaded work. Yeah. I mean, yes, assembling a bowl is very quick. Which is why it's such a great commuter lunch. It's why it's so popular. You got hot broth. You just got to get them noodles up to temperature, into the right temperature. I think that's a thing that you brought up that I really like about anything is um, I like lots of convenience food in general. But then I also (laughs) like the opposite end of the spectrum where anything that you can put more thought than you should into is really fun. Um, Whether it be... All right, so I've got this thick soup, so it's going to go with this thick noodle because thick likes thick. True. And and <laughs> nice. <laughs> or you've got this thinner broth, this lighter broth, so it's going to go with these thinner noodles. Or I've got, you know, this broth, so we're going to use wrinkly noodles instead. Yeah. And the variations and just the thought that goes behind it is lots of fun. 
which this is off topic, but I learned about a, a Czechoslovakian Czech, a Czech beer drinking <laughs> tradition the other day. You're I'm obsessed just, with this. It's great. It's I'll have some uh, you you're the person that puts the information online. Yes, I will link it in the description. It's great. But it was there's some bars in the United States now that are adopting this Czech beer tending tradition of incorporating foam and like the various amounts of foam. And there's a shop that's only going to have like two beers, but five different foam level variations. So they're doing 10 different pours and they're pairing that with food based on textures. And I think that's super interesting. It is relevant to ramen because foam and textures. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's also relevant to ramen in the sense of um, even just drinking culture with ramen in Japan and drinking highballs and highball culture is having that super big fan effervescent beverage is almost like a palate cleanser while you're eating your food Mm -hmm. um, is really enjoyable. And I don't feel like you can get that here. Yeah. Not very many spots have the specialized highball machines. Some of them are starting to get highball machines in Arizona, which is exciting. And then if they do, they don't have ramen and then it's like a whole thing. But anyways, that's a a separate sadness. Um, (laughs) The highball culture, just the, that drinking culture is interesting to think about because there's, intentionality with each drink and bite and if i remember correctly can't remember if it's a japanese tradition but there's a form of eating called triangular eating and it's like the process of i'm going to have a bite of this and i'm going to take a drink of that and how all of that plays into each other and the overall experience mm-hmm. and i think that's something turns it into a much higher art form than just eating even though you're just eating right what i think like even sukemen ramen really like plays off of that because so if you look at our logo, that is from a shop that was celebrating their anniversary. So you could get two bowls of ramen for like, I think it was like maybe 20 bucks each of us. It was something like, like that. It wasn't they had crazy. a special where it was the two sets for the, but it, and it was like an anniversary set too. Yes. Like it was a specialized, the broth was richer and cooked longer. So it had more umami. They showed the original recipe that they had started with. And then they were showing the one that they we're the ultra-rich anniversary. Yeah. And the way that you eat sukem and ramen is the soup is really hot, but the noodles are chilled. And I have a weird thing with temperature, so I didn't think I was going to like it. But you basically, <laughs> you take the cold noodles, you dip them in the hot soup, and you slurp them. And when I tell you that is one of the most enjoyable foods mm. to eat because of the the texture and the taste and the temperature, like, it's just so... The skim and noodles specifically had <gasps> so chewy. a really pleasant chew, which I'm pretty sure the word is Taiwanese that I'm about to use is QQ. But yeah. it's that it's the it's like an onomatopoeia it's like a for bouncy... that, it's that really bouncy texture, but pleasantly bouncy and not like not like calamari. calamari bouncy where it fights back. No. But that was those were delicious. It was also like Kevin's style broth and soup is different because they because the noodles aren't resting in it they pack extra flavor into it and thick so it was thicker and it was it was richer and it was i think the one thing the reason we're assholes about ramen (laughs) now is that the umami level just isn't there at all for any of the um for any of the food like there's not that level of umami or depth in any of the ramens that we've had in the united states there was the one shop in la that was pretty good yeah and i don't remember what it was called i'll have to look at my 
my itinerary Go from that trip. Archives. Because I do remember that one being really good. Um, I think also just having the option to try so many variants because like the ramen museum had multiple kinds that you could try in one place. And then when Tokyo station underwent their renovation, they opened Tokyo ramen street where they offered space to, I think it was like six shops that were really well known across the country to come in, open Mm -hmm. another location and showcase the ramen that they were known for. Um, I think we went to four of them. Um, yeah, that sounds right. We went a lot. We, <laughs> any chance we got to go back there, we did, um, simply because it made it easy for us, right? We didn't have to do as much research when you kept going back to the same area and knowing there was another shop next door to try. But I know we had different favorites. Yeah. My favorite was one that I will discuss with the uh, trigger <laughs> warning because the the, the things I'm about to say are kind of gross, but, but it you was love delicious. It. Um, it was like a sardine-focused ramen that was so fishy and sardine and oily umami that it was like gritty. It was yeah, like like you could a little, a little murky. It was kind of like thick sardine sludge the ramen, but when I tell you that it had so much depth of flavor. And umami, and even that like grit as a part of the texture was fantastic. <laughs> I don't think I sold anyone on it, but you gotta, it's, it hit different. It, it was really it was, good. You really liked it, and it was texturally also upsetting to you. Like the flavor was so good that the upsetting texture was. You could passable. get around it because it tasted so good. It reminded me of watching food anime where like, the bad flavors are happening, but you're like, kind of like it. <laughs> Whereas like for me, my favorite bowl that we had was a, a miso ramen that was super garlicky. Like their whole thing was that they made this miso garlic paste that they put on top of your ramen bowl. Mm-hmm. And it had these big, thick, chewy noodles and the broth was thicker. And it reminded me almost of eating like Italian food just texturally because it was like eating pasta more so than eating a soup. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like. It was good. Very garlicky. So unctuous and rich and creamy and delicious. I mean, you've started putting miso into any of your garlic pastas <laughs> now since then. I put like miso in everything. Yeah. Uh, Add depth. Like even just, I made um, a vegan pesto over the weekend. You just throw a little bit of miso paste in there to replace the Parmesan. And it's. It was on a TV show, I swear. I don't remember which one. I think it was two, but yeah, it's so good. So I think the challenge is now of like, how do you appreciate a food that you feel like you can't get without being a snob about it? Yep. Let us know how to do that. I don't know how. (laughs) I don't know. There is, there's a certain part. I think it's funny that we, we were just watching Ugly Delicious and a lot of those episodes Chain is going to Tokyo because he's lived in Tokyo and stuff. And um, it's funny to see them talk about appreciation of culture in Japan, like taking different foods and then making it their own and then talking about like the struggles of like, okay, what is authenticity? Sure. Um, And even in the context of ramen, like if you go to the ramen museum, they 
give the nod of the hat to the Chinese noodle soup and say like this is where it came this from. is where it came from. I think also in that same website or that same story on the on the page, it goes on to say that the emphasis on umami is what differentiates it and what they focused on. The, they focus on the umami in the soup. And that is where you get all of the derivatives of like, okay, this umami and this, you know, umami from the miso is going to be the different than the umami from the dashi is going to be the different than the umami from soy is different from the umami from just the regular salt. So the amount of that's what they accredit to like making it their own. What makes it Japanese. And I think that's an interesting point about Japanese food as a whole is they tend to take one ingredient and try to really showcase it to its full extent uh, which is why i think having the different variations of ramen is so interesting so you have shoyu shio um tonkatsu tonkatsu, which is pork miso and then there's a couple other derivatives based on like there's another worth of these for the chicken based soups and there's also the fish based soups yeah don't know the actual words for those ones but those are separate but really, they take the one component and they're like, this is what we're going to layer the flavor off of. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that focus that makes it so special. Mm-hmm. And I think when you take that time and effort to make it that way is where it really shines. And I think that's the hard part of um, translating it out here if you're not, if that's not the only thing you serve. Right. I think that a lot of places could benefit in general from just focus because i feel like a lot of the ramen shops we've been to in the united states they have a shio they have a shoyu they have a miso they have a tenkatsu they have a, they're they, trying to they hit have, everybody they have the entire spectrum of them and none of them are actually that good whereas if you just focused in on like a shoyu and did that well i think that places would benefit i think that we've talked about that in general though where we wish that specialized food in the united states was a thing like have a shop that just serves one thing and make it like the best version. Raising canes, baby. <laughs> oh no. One love, brother. No. Um, and I think it's also interesting too to talk about the components of ramen because I think a lot of people assume it's a broth, noodles, and toppings. When in reality, you've got the tare, which is a flavored oil um, that usually goes in the bottom of a bowl. You've got and they use a tiniest little ladle. Very <laughs> cute. And then you've got the stock, and it depends on what kind of ramen you're having. It could also be a double soup. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, you would make um, usually a dashi, which is a soup made of like kombu and like fish flakes. And then you might have like a pork stock or a chicken stock or a fish stock that blends with that. And then you have your noodles. And then you have some kind of fat on top, whether that's sesame is important to note. (laughs) It's probably the most important thing thing. that we miss here because fat carries flavor. And there's a lot of United States mindset is like, well, it's fat, so it's going to make it heavy. So we're going to skim the fat off. No, You just took away one, the insulation layer. (laughs) That's what keeps it so hot. And then just all that flavor, like the the flavor of those fats is very different and hard to create. You lose a lot when you lose that flavor because that flavor isn't just the flavor of pork. It's like being hugged by a pig. <laughs> it's a nice little warm, like, 
I'm dead and that's okay. And it hugs oh, back. No. Um, yep, some, a lot of times it's animal-based fats. Sometimes it's plant-based fats. It's like being hugged by a dead sesame seed. <laughs> All okay. 8 million of them. Um, and then, of course, from there you have toppings. And toppings really vary. I love shashu pork. I think that should be on everything that you eat. Shashu is good. All the time. And the egg. The egg is really important to me. If you're going to serve it and it's hard-boiled, I'm going to be sad. Yeah, the seasoned egg, when it gets... I like the seasoned egg when they are slightly warm. And if that's mm-hmm. I'm just, like, pulling it from the marinade and then in the oil for or the soup for just a second to help bring it up instead of just, like, popping into it and it being cold but runny. Because cold but runny is kind of a weird... It's a weird thing. If you push it under the soup long enough, though... <laughs> It'll be okay. Just brown the egg. Like, oh, you're not right. And I think another thing that happens a lot in the shops that we've been to in the U.S. is that they load it up with toppings as a way to almost, like, offset the fact that, like, this soup could use more flavor. Yeah. I think that was the issue that I had with um, the spot in San Diego that we went to is that they really did have quality toppings. But all of them were slightly under-seasoned, and then the soup was also slightly under-seasoned. So there was nothing to, like, help bring it back up. But, like, I remember the green onion specifically being, like, really beautiful and curly and satisfying. And their egg had good flavor, good texture, and there was, like, a lot done correct. It just was done If you don't nail the soup, like, it's it's going to be a flat dish. And I think also, and this is, I'm going to tease another episode here as we run out of time. Um, anybody that brags about not using MSG is kind of a red flag for me. Um, if you want to hear about more of that now, I actually did an episode for the disinformed podcast, um, about the history of MSG. Um, not to say that you need it to make a good bowl of ramen. When I make ramen at home, I don't use it because you spend enough time to pull, Mm -hmm that umami out of the ingredients but i think had that bowl had msg in it (laughs) it would have been 10 times better i i don't like the no msg advertising just because it perpetuates racist racist stereotyping stereotyping and that like yeah you just don't do msg but you don't have to like contribute to white people being afraid of msg like that's a really it goes back to um even the Chinese roots of ramen and then being like, we don't use MSG. Okay. Well now you're like feeding into the Chinese restaurant syndrome yep. nightmare. And it's like, stop. Which is also part of what we were watching on ugly. <laughs> talking about MSG. It's a great and episode. Being, it's just uh, uh, David chain being a herald for MSG. And like, people are just fucking uneducated on this, like grossly. Yep. Because you, eat it daily if you're eating snack foods in the united states like the number one seasoning is msg just because it doesn't say msg and it's spelled out as monosodium glutamate doesn't mean it's not msg and msg is in breast milk and i'll leave it at that tough tough titties nerds (laughs) well but we'll circle back to that because i think it's a really interesting conversation it's something that i've spent a lot of time reading up on because Mm -hmm. i feel like anytime we have an opportunity to dispel myths about food and especially myths that are um, racist, just blatantly racist, we should do that. Yeah. Food is one of the 
most interesting things because it is culture like it is as much culture as anything else and it brings people together and it divides people just as much and it is it's a fun thing to actually like think about and like oh there's this there's food that we associate as chinese food that doesn't exist without portuguese people coming through and bringing in chili peppers and we we don't have mala cooking in china without south america and chilies that are not native to china but hundreds of years pass and that's just a part of the culture it's steep man it's really cool and ramen is chinese food <laughs> now we're gonna get canceled nice <laughs> and on that note the ramen police are banging down the door <laughs> I'm going to go off to ramen jail. Oh, you would like ramen jail. Do you, do you eat ramen every day? Yeah. I'll, I'll, in this, I'll drop the egg soap. <laughs> okay. 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 We'll have to keep talking about ramen later on that we scratch. We surface. barely, and that's the hard part about, uh, talking about one type of food, especially to try to do it in like 30 minutes is there's just not enough time. We can talk about it more later. We are going to make this a multi-part <laughs> multi-pack ramen explosion experience we're gonna give all my favorite ramen recipes including how to smash ramen and pour your little packet <laughs> on it <sighs> thank you for listening to love food hate money on this episode and every episode is edited by john watkins of feathered fiction studios he also does our original music thanks john um, if you want to connect with us, um, check us out on Instagram and all your other favorite social media platforms. You can email us at hello at lovefoodhatemoney.com. And please send us your industry stories if you want to. Or don't, because that's what you've been doing. That's fine, too. <laughs> um, and then if you or someone you know would be a great guest for our show, hit us up. We have really, really enjoyed... Um, doing those interviews we hope to do more and um even if you're out of state like we can figure that out set that up so we can give john a headache (laughs) tell all your your chef friends to uh to be our new friends or your starbucks baristas or your dutch bros baristas because i want one of those in the show for a 15 minute special and just how much cocaine do you have to do (laughs) to get that revved up (laughs) at any given point and uh, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. We've really had a great time with this. It's been so fun to see it grow. And we hope to continue to talk at more of you every week. We love talking at you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I made a mess. <laughs>